0: Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect.
1: And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to the show this week. I am Bill Sickens, your host. Got some great stuff for you. We're going to be talking about hidden cameras here in a little bit. And not that that's anything new. The way that they are getting out there is becoming a little bit unusual. Also have some good news and Question and answers and all that for you this week, and an interview coming up later in the show with
2: Steve. So, with no further ado, let's get into the news. Today's news is brought to you by the Sherwood Chamber of Commerce Golf Tournament, presented by Parkway Village in Sherwood. Spots are still available for the September 10th event at Langdon Farms Golf Club. Membership in the chamber is not required to play. See bit.ly/chambergolf2021 for more information. What's in the news?
0: Someone is trying to build an
1: impulse drive. So I think this would fall under Life Imitates Art maybe a little bit?
2: Definitely. Yeah. So or I'm- something imitating Star Trek again.
1: Yeah, again. Yeah, 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 And that is again. So the idea here is the Star Trek series had two kinds of propulsion, impulse and warp drives. Warp mm-hmm. drives is the one that goes faster than the speed of light and is something that's actively being developed. The impulse drive is also important. It provides thrust for a short period of time to break out of the orbit of a planet or a moon. That's basically at least the reason in Star Trek. And this is something that is being actually worked on and something that they're getting in the direction of making it look like this may actually be possible. Cool. So this is a very interesting thing, and I think we'll go ahead and put a link up to the blog on it. But basically what it comes down to is it uses something called piezoelectric crystals. And Mm -hmm. applying a specific electric currency causes the crystals to expand and contract. That makes the device vibrate, and that makes the device work. So this even uses crystals.
2: That's kind of (laughs) cool. It is kind of (laughs) cool. Data leak exposes 38 million records, including COVID-19 vaccination status.
0: Yeah, this one's not so cool. Yeah, that's exactly what I was (laughs) going (laughs) to say.
1: Although, seriously, this is something – so what's going on here – is Microsoft has a cloud hosting platform like Amazon or Google or any of those do. Mm -hmm. And on their cloud hosting platform, they have the ability for anyone to build an app. And if you build an application, you can use what are called APIs, which allows you to connect your app to their system. Now, all of that's fine and pretty standard. But the difference here being that in their case, the default was set to not keep data private. So if you build an app on Amazon and use their storage platforms, everything is set so that the information to be stored will be kept private. And if you want to make it public, you can, but you have to go through a pretty in-depth process to be able to change it over and you know what's going on. The other one was going the other way, so unless you locked it down, it wasn't. Well, of course, a lot of people didn't know that and the information didn't get locked
0: down. Nice.
1: And some of the information that's been released here includes HIPAA medical records, these type of things, private health information, PHI, as well as people's vaccination status, and other things that were stored in these systems. Uh, A lot of it has to do with Microsoft employees and companies that this is used for, but it is definitely an issue.
0: Leonardo da Vinci's bridge design
1: approved. So I assume this is uh, Italy or what is now Italy. So it sounds like they're Building department takes as long as ours does to issue permits.
2: (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Maybe,
0: yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So this is a hypothetical design bridge by Leonardo da Vinci in the early 1500s for the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. And it, it was rejected at the time, and a team at MIT has recreated the design model and has showed that it would have worked.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I I saw parts of that
2: article. I thought that was cool. It's yeah. a nice. It's a it's a neat looking bridge.
1: Yeah, it is. They've made a three D model of it, and it's kind of yeah, like you say, it's interesting to look at. It's got his very kind of flavor to the design, mm-hmm. but I can also see where that could have worked just fine. So
0: and didn't they also say that that particular design was good for
1: earthquakes? Yeah, it's it's good for earthquakes. It's very stable. And like things are now, he was competing with someone else to get the project, and it looks like that someone else did. But you know, when it comes down to these type of things, uh, just what is old is new again. I wonder if we're going to actually see this in modern construction. We might in areas that are seismically
2: active. You know, would be kind of cool. Hackers steal 100 million from Japanese crypto exchange.
1: Yes, the exchange called Liquid got hit 100 million. It seems like this keeps happening. Now, the last time this happened, uh the hackers returned some of the cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. I don't hear that that's the case here, but, um you know, it's one of these things. You have a situation where you have a type of money that has no physical version of it. So everything is right. virtual. It's Every- digital. Digital, stored in digital wallets, all that kind of thing. And it is something that by design can't be tracked and can't be recreated. although. They have figured out some ways to track it, but even so, it's still very difficult to do. So, once it's stolen, it's just like the cash being stolen out of your wallet. Uh, Unless you have information or a way to get it back, it's gone.
0: Mm. Hmm. GM recalls all Chevy Bolt electric vehicles.
1: Yep. Interesting topic here. It's a $1 billion recall. There's a lot of concerns coming out of this more than just the recall. The recall is because of batteries. And uh, just a point of clarification that we were looking into, there is two Chevy models, a Bolt with a B like in Bill, and then the Volt with a V like in Victor. The Volt was <laughs> right. a model that's been discontinued. It was a hybrid and apparently had some problems, um, or uh, what they called was there was no profit path for it. So this one is an electric car and the batteries are all having to be replaced in every one that's ever been made. Now we have been seeing a lot about electric car batteries in the news lately. This is a concern of those wanting adoption of electric cars, because everybody's looking at them and going, you know, they're going to catch on fire.
2: Yeah. yeah it's well, batteries have been exploding for a while now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This has been a problem across the board. I know this being the latest one, we've seen this with Teslas. Even the fire departments are saying it takes something like 40 times more water to put out the fires, mm-hmm. uh, that being an issue on its own bit. Hyundai had this problem with their cars a while back, LG-made batteries. So it is definitely something that's out there and a concern. So, if you have an electric vehicle that falls under the recall, or may it even be a good idea to do so, just anyway, you don't want to let your vehicle exceed a ninety percent charge. You don't want to hmm. let it drop below the seventy mile mark. And they also always say to park your vehicle outside when it isn't charging and don't charge it overnight. That's so if ah. it catches on fire, it doesn't blow up your garage. I think. You um, know, it's, it's
0: just you know, every new technology has a difficult period. And this is a pretty big step in a big direction. So there's probably going to be quite a few years of just frustration.
1: Yeah. And working out the bugs. And the other thing is, is lithium batteries in general have a history of having some of these kind of problems. We remember it in other applications like the Samsung um, phones and things that-
0: Yeah, they get hot
1: and do weird things. Yeah. And they finally prohibited them on planes and things because they would do weird things. And There was a washing machine, I know, that had a problem where it was catching fire, too. So, you know, again, new technology, you're going to have these type of things. Electric vehicles, they're still getting a lot of the bugs worked out, obviously, the batteries being part of it. And the other big concern about this, too, from an environmental standpoint, is because the batteries don't last that long in the car, it creates a situation of what do they do with all of these old batteries? Yeah. Because right now, there really isn't a recycling process at scale for it. They're testing some things. But at this moment, it's looking like they would all go into the landfill, and they have a lot of toxic chemicals, you know? Great. I think it's a good Mm. idea to move in a direction where we reduce emissions and have things that are better. But right now, it's still taking some work to get there. That doesn't mean that this won't become a very workable technology and soon, but at the moment, there are definitely still some difficulties.
2: Hmm. 3D-printed solid-state batteries pass proof of concept. Yeah, speaking of (laughs) which one of of the
1: solutions will mm, be to get better batteries. (laughs)
2: Yay!
1: (laughs) So this is an interesting thing. Could you print your own battery? And there are some researchers out there that are saying yes. This is a California-based company. They're working with 3D-printed batteries that are easier to produce. They're 50% smaller and 30% lighter than lithium-ion batteries. They currently have a capacity of about three amp hours. And right now, printing them is slow, but at scale, they're saying that it would actually cost less than existing battery technology as they have it now. They call it the carousel solid-state battery. It does have a chemical composition, but it sounds like it's a lot more solid-state than the batteries that we have now, Hmm. and something that could be very interesting if this was able to be ramped up and be used. There's a second phase of production scheduled for 2022. Where they're going to make one gigawatt per year, and we'll see where this ends up going. All right, this is User Friendly 2.0. We've got a great show for you this week, got a good interview. I will leave it at that, and you can find out in the upcoming segment what we're doing. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. So we've got a question for you. It's one that was asked for this week's Tech Wednesday, and we wanted to dive into this a little bit more. But privacy has changed a lot since the internet, and we all know that. And everything seems like it's under surveillance lately. You go to a store, there's surveillance cameras. We have them on our house. We even have them in our cars. But the question that I have to ask is, where does this go too far?
0: (laughs) Yeah, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly from what you described in that article. Oh, my goodness.
1: Huh. So what we have for are some products that are out there that mimic things that you would have around your house or office that actually contain security cameras. So first thing I'm going to say is if you haven't seen this week's Tech Wednesday article, go check it out. It's at theanswerportland.com under Tech Wednesday. And what we're talking about is things like smoke alarms, USB chargers. Even pins and pencils that contain cameras. Outlets. Outlets. Yeah, that was the other one. Yeah. Like one of the ground plugs is a camera in the outlet. You know, that type of a thing. I mean,
2: I, I've seen a lot of stuff advertised in some of the, you know, sales catalog things. Nanny cam stuff where it's the camera's in a in a clock or, in or a, a teddy bear yeah. or a toy. Yeah. Um, but that's like to keep track of like your, you know, the nanny and your kids. Not to spy on other people uh, who... You know,
3: those those
0: those actually have a purpose. It's like um, you you want to protect your children. And in some cases, they even will use stuff like that um, for seniors. Mm -hmm. If -hmm. you suspect that your senior is being abused in their care facility. But this uh, these other items that Bill has discovered have a more insidious feel to them.
2: That's a good word, insidious.
0: I think
1: what really kind of freaked me about now, I think it's important to point out before I say that too, is just the idea that really any hidden camera could be used for a, a necessary purpose, like what you just described. Right. But some of these things, the one that really caught my attention when I was first looking into this was the smoke alarms. Now, I use this system in my home. They're first alert, they're a great brand, at least something that's always been highly recommended. I've had a very good experience with them. And the actual alarms, That I use connect to the ring doorbell, so they're networked and they have smoke and heat and carbon monoxide and all that stuff built into them. And you have one in each room and it takes care of that system. But the other device we found looks just like them, down to the same printing, including the brand name. But instead of being a smoke alarm, it actually contains two cameras, one shooting from the side and one shooting from the top down. And this device is set up in such a way that it can be hardwired into your electrical. So that's what powers the cameras. But you wouldn't know. And you really look at it and you wouldn't know. Now, when you buy these things, it's not like you're going to mistake and order the wrong one because they are quite a bit more money. And the way that I found them represented online at all the retailers is it did say that they contained hidden cameras. So it's not like they're trying to sneak them into the smoke alarm in that way. But once it's installed, you wouldn't know. I mean, when you walk into the house, you would not know that there was a camera.
0: I'm thinking more of a more... Insidious uh, purpose or, or installation, where um, the the homeowner isn't the person purchasing the item; uh, it's somebody else is, and replacing something they already have. Right, and that's that's what I'm concerned about.
1: That was my you know feeling, what I mean. My feeling too. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, of it is is, some people own their homes, but a lot of people rent, and yeah. usually, yeah. if you rent a house or an apartment or something, something like a smoke alarm is included Mm -hmm. with the rental. In fact, a lot of states, most states actually require that.
0: Yeah. And hotel rooms?
1: Hotel rooms are another one. Any place like that. And you wouldn't think twice about it because there's
0: smoke alarms everywhere. I mean, that's a very normal part.
1: Outlets are another one. I mean Mm – Yeah,
0: the outlet one was really creepy too. I mean, that could be put in somebody's office. I I think of industrial espionage, you know? Right. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, and and that type of a thing. Now, when you install it, again, from the back of it, you can tell that there's something very strange going on. Plus, you'd have to configure them, and they also require an internet connection to be able to broadcast the signal. So
4: mm-hmm. there's a few
1: steps to making these things work, but nevertheless, it's very easy to do, and there's an application and uh, all kinds of things out there to be able to monitor and record. They have DVR functionality. And all the rest of that, just like any surveillance system, it's just something that by design, you can't really see what it is. And some of the other devices that contain these, I mean, the list goes on clock radios. So, Jeremy, you were talking about a clock. Mm-hmm. But this is like a clock radio that would sit on your nightstand. And it, it, oh, you know, yeah. the thing about it is these devices are fully functional. Those are at least. The smoke alarm is not. Hmm. But the devices like the electrical outlet, they had a power tap or a power bar that had three outlets on it and two USB chargers and all of those ports work. And the top part where the on-off light is, that's the camera on that device. So, you know, again, it's one of these type of situations. And because it's connected to constant power, it will mm-hmm. work. It's not like it has a battery that needs to be changed or something. So it's something to be aware of. Now, question that's asked is what can you do to protect yourself? And there's a couple of things. Uh, for if you especially if you stay in hotels and stuff a lot or are concerned about it the other place where they've been finding some of these equipment is uh, public restrooms which that goes down an entirely other path but it is something uh-huh. to be aware of is on retailers like Amazon and other places you can get camera detectors they start at about 20 bucks and go up from there depending on what you want and you know how good you want it to be one of the tricks i found is to use your cell phone And the cell phone will see infrared light that you can't. So it'll look almost like there's a flashlight beam when you're looking through the screen at the wall if there's a camera there. Now, the one thing about it is is that doesn't work in the light a lot because the IR or infrared is only turned on usually when it's dark. So you might want to turn the light off in the room and then scan it with your phone. And if you see anything that looks like a light that you can't see, that would definitely be a red flag.
0: Now, that wouldn't work if you were in. A restaurant, bathroom, or a store dressing room? Correct. It would only work somewhere where there's infrared
1: light. So it doesn't work 100% of the time, but it is a way to check out some locations. Mm -hmm. The camera detectors will do more. They're not 100% either, but it will pick up on some things. Now, the Star Trek tricorder scanner for that kind of thing, as far as I can tell, doesn't exist yet. (laughs) but definitely would be something out there or maybe an app or something that would help Mm -hmm. with that with the sensors on the phone but this is definitely something that is out there, it's part of our world now and it is something to think about and just keep an eye, if something doesn't look right, you know, take a second look at it, but some of these other things are designed to fit right in, this is User Friendly 2.0 we'll be back after the break Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask questions and we answer them. How do you send your questions? Well, that's a good question. 503-766-6264 is our phone number. One User-Friendly on Facebook or Twitter or our website, userfriendlyshow.com. Any of those places you can submit your questions. Here we've got a couple of good ones this week. What do we have?
2: What is SIM swapping and phone cloning?
1: Question from last week's story on the T-Mobile hmm. hack. Yeah. And it looks like AT&T might have also gotten hacked. Oh, no. So there's a lot of information getting out there. Now, the hacking part of this, everything's already out there. We kind of talked about this last week. So that piece of it isn't so much to worry more about, um, I guess, would be the best way to put it. But one of the things that's going on with this is that in a lot of the information that just got out are uh, phone numbers, but not like the phone number you would call to get to your phone they're the actual serial numbers of the phones, and that's what they're talking about when they refer to some swapping and phone cloning. Now, with that information, the hackers can actually get in and be able to clone your phone. So that means when text messages come in, they get them. That means when voicemails come in, they get them, and they can make calls like they're you. And the bigger problem with this is a lot of two-factor identification for checking accounts and stuff like that sends a text message, and now they can get to the text message. So that's the biggest worry that's coming from this. As far as being able to really protect yourself on it, outside of replacing the phone, it is difficult to really do too much. I would definitely suggest T-Mobile and AT&T customers go on, change your password, change your PIN codes, that type of thing, that stuff you can do. But a lot of the other end of this is the information's out there and it's becoming a problem.
0: What's the best smart home
1: system to buy? Subjective answer here, I use Samsung SmartThings myself, and I've actually been very happy with that. It's worked quite well, and I've had it for a while. It's open source, and most things seem to work with it. But there's some different answers here, and a lot of them would be things like if you want to use a smart speaker, those systems are starting to have the smart home hubs built in so you don't need the separate device anymore. But the one thing that I would suggest is figure out what you actually want to do. If you're controlling a few lights and that type of thing, and that's it, then a smaller system or something that's built in to something you may already have might be the most economic way to go. But if you're doing a bigger system where you want a lot of special stuff, the Samsung system is, for example, controls my appliances, and I would need that for that to be able to work. Um, I use a Philips system for the lighting control for backlighting and that type of a thing. They do talk to each other. So again, it just depends on what you want to do. And some of these different systems are better at certain things than other ones are. So that's another thing to take into consideration. The reason I like open source, like smart things, is because most devices you buy will connect to it and will work with it. So you don't actually have to have proprietary things. But the reason I use the Philips system in tandem with that is because it definitely works better for lighting control. So like I say, it's a subjective answer. Do a little research, but it's based on what you need and what you're actually trying to do.
2: Hmm. Is nuclear fusion a reality yet?
1: This is a question that we get every so often, and I look at it, and I'm like, I hope so. However, the Livermore National Laboratory has announced that they have figured out a piece of this. Now, mm-hmm. fusion, what they're talking about here is slamming atoms together. To make mm-hmm. a heavier atom, and in that process, it releases energy. This is the way that the sun works, as opposed to nuclear, like we do with a nuclear power plant that splits atoms apart.
0: Is that fission?
1: Yeah. So this is yeah, and this, exactly. And so the idea is with this is that this is safer for one thing, and if they could actually do it, it's something that could make energy and make somewhat limitless sources of that. Although you would still need to create it, but it is definitely something that would be better at least in a production scenario, mm-hmm. than nuclear, if that makes sense. So one of the things that they are actually able to do now is the initiators, and they were are claiming that they were able to actually create fusion power for 100 trillionth of a second. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And they consider that a significant step towards ignition. So <clears throat> something that's on the way, but... uh You know, I think all of these different parts of it are key pieces in getting to that point. We are a very energy-hungry world now. Yeah. And definitely having some new sources of power are important. We've been working on batteries that do things like run electric cars and that type of a thing. But all of this stuff still has to be charged. And the charging process still requires electricity. So it makes a lot of sense to be able to use different formats and getting something that's safer would be a great step forward. This is user-friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is user-friendly 2.0. Joining us now, Steve Mailer with his guest, Kim
4: Harris. Thanks, Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen. I am talking with a friend that I met a few years ago on the set of some of Doc Durden's films. You've heard Doc here. I've had him on the show with me. And she's a very talented actress. She played um, Josephine Marcus in the Gunfight OK Corral recreation that we did. And she was also the sheriff in Jesse James, the Lady. Her name is Kim Harris. Kim, thank you so much for joining me here on User-Friendly.
3: Well, thank you for having me, Stephen.
4: Well, it's, you know, I've been trying to track you down, but you're kind of a busy lady these days. You're doing a lot of very interesting performances, characterizations. Tell us a little bit about some of what you do when you're not acting in front of a camera.
3: Oh, well, um, most of the time when I'm doing something like that, it's, uh, it's called, I'm a Chautauquan, which is actually a person who does a living history, uh, in first person of a historic character. Amazing. And I have several characters I do and, and it depends on the occasion or somebody who might want that character for a particular event. And I do a few national characters and a few local characters. But I really love what I do in, uh, because I get to research Write my own monologue, memorize it, and then deliver it.
4: Is this something that's always a single person performance?
3: No, not always. I have a few different people that we've done, um, a two person setup, but it's always, uh, we might have an exchange, but then we have a time during that presentation where we have own monologue. Okay. So it's a combination sort of a, you know, two person act, but we get to still do the, the Chautauqua portion of it.
4: Now, and I hope that I'm not going to stumble you up with this. How do you spell Chautauqua?
3: Oh no, I've I've learned how to look <laughs> over ten years. It's C H A U T A U Q U A, and it's uh, it's briefly, it's just it comes from where the movement began in the late 1800s out of Ch- Lake Chautauqua. Okay.
4: Would you believe uh, believe it or not that I actually almost spelled it right? Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Just, huh, I don't know why. What are some of the characters that you've performed? What are some of the characters you portrayed?
3: Well, uh, locally that some people in um, northern Nevada might be aware of is, for instance, uh, Charlie Parkhurst, who was a stagecoach driver. And uh, if you don't know the story, I'm not going to spoil it. Okay. and also, I portray Lillian Virgin Finnegan, who started the candy dance here in Genoa, but there was much more to her. She was a suffragist, et cetera. oh wow but nash and, uh, and I play several more local characters, but uh some of the national characters I portray is Lizzie Borden Ooh. yes, and wow. she didn't do, she didn't do it she did. She didn't? know, And I also portray uh, Libby Bacon Custer, who was the wife of General George Armstrong Custer. Okay. And I portray Calamity Jane. Nice. Yes. And so, yeah, and I have fun, you know, I have fun doing it, um, especially Charlie Parkers and Calamity Jane, because I don't have to do my hair and makeup or wear it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> now, another character that I, I, ha- I have some, we have some friends in common. Oh. And and uh like Sandy Linnae and yes. um uh Debbie Lynn Smith. And mm-hmm. I know that they've mentioned that another character that you do that caught my attention was Julia Boulay.
3: Oh well yes, yeah, that was one of the characters I did early on, and that came from a two woman play that we did it so much we both said, Well let's do something else, but we took our characters and developed just a single Chautauqua around it. Wow. And uh, and there was a lot of research that went into Julie Bouet and um, it's thanks to a genealogist that wrote a book that she was able to put her hands on ship manifests and, mm. and things, uh, uh, documents from Julia's family that changed a lot of the information that people think they know about her because when other articles or books were written, uh, they didn't have the wide variety of, of uh, information at their fingertips or even the Internet. So there's wow. things that... that People think they know about her and it's not, you know.
4: You know, I'm sorry I didn't know you about six years ago because um, a production that I was involved in was called Virginia City N V and it was on the Red Light Ladies District. Oh. And we did, the story centered on Julia Boulay and I know a lot of our history was probably completely erroneous and we took lots of artistic licenses, so to speak, I would have loved to have been able to have picked your brain.
3: Oh. Because I'm well, sure we you know, would have
4: been a lot more accurate.
3: <laughs> well, I, you know, and I didn't, you know, when I started portraying her in 19, 1912. <laughs> 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 this, this happens to people like me. Um, uh, you know, in, in, in 2012, um, a book had, that book by C.C. Uh, C. C. Hale, who did 10 years of research on her, that was the genealogist. Okay. Uh, that book had just come out like in 2011. So, there's there's nothing you could have done about it, and oh. there's nothing anybody could have done about it. But yeah. that's the fun part is learning the new things. And you got her, you, you got people interested in her story, and they can do their research
4: on their own. Sure. You know, I,
3: I don't blame anybody when I continuously read that she was born in England, which she was not. But
4: well, I thought point. I thought didn't she come from Louisiana?
3: She did. She was born okay. in. Morehouse Parish, Louisiana.
4: Okay. That's kind of what I, because I, because it's funny. After the episode was completed, I did more deep research because one of the actresses, the actress who played her in the episode that we did, wanted to do it as a feature length movie.
3: Oh, and in order wow, to, that in order to
4: do that, we had to really understand and know this, the true story of her. So I may be picking your brain again <laughs> Oh,
3: I'd be happy to <laughs> i I know
4: her intimately now <laughs> wow. wow, okay, so you so you do Chautauqua, and actually what you um one of the reasons why I wasn't able to get a hold of you this weekend is because you were very busy doing several performances.
3: Uh yes, we had a I, I'm also the events manager at Dangberg Branch Historic Park here in Minden uh okay. in Douglas County. And uh we had a major fundraiser. And, uh, for entertainment, uh, they understand the value of Chautauqua because we're one of the biggest Chautauqua venues during the season. Uh-huh. And so the founder from 1851 was H.F. Dangberg Sr. And so there's a gentleman that portrays him. That's Dr. Michael Fisher, which many Nevadans might already know his name. Mm-hmm. And then I portrayed his daughter-in-law, Gertrude Hieronymus Dangberg, who was married to, um, Mr. Dangberg's eldest son and Fred, they called him Fred, but he was junior. But he was he was the mover and the shaker who actually brought um the town of Minden to life. Oh. Uh, he was like the the baron of uh, of northern Nevada and he brought a spur of the V and T Railroad down to Minden as well. And so in the nineteen twenties before everything dropped out, mm-hmm. you know, the cultural uh depression and right. the great um, they were uh, they were the major um, socialites of Carson Valley. So I portrayed Gertrude, and we had to do the same sort of research through newspapers, wow. even though we had forty eight thousand artifacts at the ranch all of her clothes, her letters, photos of her, the house that she lived in with the furniture, which was a, a Chautauquan's dream. We never uh-huh. get. That. <laughs> but 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 there was still more research to find out about. Her earlier life, she was a graduate, an early graduate of the Nevada State University, which in 1906 became UNR.
4: Wow. Kim Harris, thank you so much for joining me here on User Friendly. It's been an education as always. Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen, guys, take it away. Steve, thank you. We'll be back after the break.
1: Welcome back. Great show this week. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it seems like I say that every week, but they're all great. You do. You do. But I mean, so. it's
2: okay. <laughs>
0: You're just enthusiastic. So yeah.
1: we didn't get to go to Silicon Valley. Obviously, we didn't cover it. And we would have this week if we had just a decision that was made by the team, not knowing what's really going on with uh, Delta and if it's safe or not, and that it was an indoor thing, that decision was made. But we are really looking forward to going to a live show at some point in the future. Mm -hmm. We're hoping that will be the UFO Festival in McMinnville in a couple of weeks. So we'll keep you apprised on this. That's an outdoor, primarily an outdoor presentation. So maybe, just maybe, hopefully things get better. Yeah. Hopefully they get better soon. So any new movies this week that you want to talk about?
0: Well, we just saw a trailer for something that has Spider-Man and Doctor Strange together. Okay. Yes. Spider-Man
2: 3, No Way Home. Hmm.
0: It looks really cool. It does. It looks pretty
2: cool. It's it's confusing, but uh, obviously the multiverse with what happened in um, Loki, you know, the multiverse is now free and everything. So now we're going to have the multiverse happen in the Spider-Man film. Reportedly, several different Spider-Men are going to be in it. So, you know.
0: Yeah, I think going to be fun. How it's going to be how they deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I like both characters, so I, I'm looking forward to checking it out. So, Jeremy, since this gets
1: brought up every time we talk about it, what is a multiverse?
2: Okay, the idea is that we're we're in one timeline here, and if I sit here and talk about whatever, that's the normal flow of timeline for this group. But if I start talking about something totally different, or I take off my headphones and walk away... And then I start talking about that something. Branches, that could branch into a different reality, where uh any action you do or, or or any action you make happens in every other universe so anything you could possibly do is a different type of reality or a different universe
0: so in one reality uh an airplane falls on our house right now in another reality uh George Lucas walks through the door and says hi i want to publish your book you know there's different things that could happen but they they're all on these different layers of reality right. well, that sounds like quantum theory
2: yeah probably exactly he is <laughs> that, that's how it, that's basically what it what it is it's a, it, everything that can happen does
1: yeah and that's basically so, what it comes down to you know yeah is that every possible outcome that could happen does happen on a different timeline
2: right, and in the marvel universe and the d c comic universe, all the different versions of the stories they tell are in different universes. So there's one universe where Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Right. There's one universe, the ultimate universe, different name, where Peter Parker is still Spider-Man, but he's in high school, not in college. Right. Right. You know, so all these different things happen. There's this the Spider uh Japanese Spider-Man is in a different universe. There's all the all the different variations of Spider-Man are happening in different universes. Well, it sounds like so, we'll,
1: we'll have to check it out and leave it at that. It sounds like Alex is yeah. trying to tell me something here. So with that, until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge.
2: User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014-2021, to User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at UserFriendlyNation.com, TheAnswerPortland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.